Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman for our final episode of the 2023 season. Michigan is your national champion, ends up beating Washington 34 to 13 in Houston, where Bruce is. Uh, Rare occasion where I stayed home and watched the game on TV. Bruce was there in Houston, saw it firsthand. Uh, let's just start off the bat. Biggest takeaways from the national championship game. Uh, I think Michigan was the more dominant team physically. It showed up. I think, you know, Michigan ran the ball down Washington's throats in the in the first quarter, especially. Um, there were times where I thought Michigan got away from the run a little bit and the game got closer. But ultimately, you know, they did something nobody had done in a long time, which was they made Michael Penix and the Washington receivers look not great. And one thing that stood out to me, and it's like, it was a reminder tonight. And I think it's just something that is probably not made a, a big, isn't a big enough deal, but it, it hasn't been made a big enough deal, but it probably should be, which is this. Michigan is a outstanding tackling team. You saw that time and time again, and I go back to, it's funny, as we're talking, I'm thinking about this. One of the people who made this point, like, of the modern, you know, last 20 years of football as a spread, and the game became much more wide open, um, is a former Michigan coach. Rich Rodriguez once said, the hardest thing to do in football is make an open field tackle. And Michigan's really good at that. I mean, there was a play earlier in the game where Mike Sandra still stops a uh, Washington player from getting a first down, they had to punt. It was a, it was actually a pretty big play, and you just saw that a lot of times they don't miss a lot of tackles, and that's a thing that's not like a sexy thing, but it's like a very fundamentally sound thing. Now they missed the tackle in the Rose Bowl. Sainer still missed, you know, running back, and he scored, you know, a thirty yard run. But by and large, that's this is as good a tackling team as I can remember, and. They're, they're obviously a really good blocking team. They're really good in the red zone because Blake Corum is a beast in the red zone. And I thought J.J. McCarthy played, you know, made some plays when he had to. You know, it wasn't perfect. But, you know, they were struggling to move the ball for a little while. And they, they didn't score on this particular possession. But he flipped the field because he ended up having like a, you know, like a 25-yard run and got it going. And I also thought it was very telling that Washington went you know, almost deep into the second half, into the fourth quarter, but they had any play longer than 20 yards. I mean, that's something to sh- to really shut down that offense. So, you know, hats off to the Wolverines. I'm not sure what's crazier, that they went that late into the game um, without a 20-yard gain, or that they went as late as they did into the fourth quarter, that there was still a one-score game. Because, much, I mean, much like the Rose Bowl, where 
Michigan was the better team and showed it right from the jump. And yet in that case had to rally just to send the game to overtime because of a lot of self-inflicted mistakes. This one also felt like Michigan. I mean, they, they blew them off the ball in the first quarter. They had those three really long plays. And then we just went into kind of a holding pattern for two, two and a half quarters where neither team could do much of anything. And if at any time Michael Penix had caught fire um, and and played the way he did against Texas, or frankly, most of the last two seasons, Washington had a shot. And to Michigan's credit, they just never let him do that. And it was really, um, you know, kind of the uh, exact opposite of the Texas game, where Texas got pressure on him, but couldn't bring him down, couldn't frazzle him. He still made perfect throws to his receivers. Um, now, to your, as you're saying, you know, you said it coming in the game, Texas's DBs aren't what Michigan's are. And so I think the combination of he's seeing more pressure than he's used to and his receivers aren't getting open like he's used to. I just seem like he just they just never got into rhythm on either side. He made, he had, um, you know, you remember how he had the overthrow. Um, it would have been a wide open touchdown when it was still, I believe, 17-3 at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, he overthrew that. Like he just had a lot of uncharacteristic missed passes. So I think in the end of the day, like the way Michigan plays football is the way teams played college football for decades. And then recently we've gotten into this era where it's been more about do you have a Joe Burrow? Do you have a Trevor Lawrence? Right? Do you have a just a transcendent quarterback? And Washington, I had that guy, I think has that guy, but um Michigan's style, their physical style, their, um, like you said, sound tackling, um, just just over, was too much. They were the better team and proved they were, to me, unquestionably the best team in the country this season. Yeah, I mean, you run for over 300 yards. They averaged eight yards a carry. I mean, at one point when the game was, you know, before the last couple of minutes, Michigan was averaging nine yards a carry. Washington's long run was nine yards. It just is like a again they they were i remember thinking they should have been up by a lot more than 17 to 10 at halftime and mm-hmm. and washington was going to get the ball and then washington comes out and i think Penix got picked off you know pretty early after you know from there and i just felt like he he just didn't look comfortable tonight and again credit to michigan i mean this is is a really, really good football team. The thing that, you know, talking to a lot of both players and coaches after the game, it's a very selfless team, you know, the way they play, you know, whether it's J.J. McCarthy not, you know, wanting them to lean on the run game or, you know, how the defense just complements each other. I think it's a, you know, the term culture gets thrown around a, a lot in sports, but I do think this was like a three-year build for this Michigan team. And a lot of people I, you know, we talked to, you know, over the last couple of days, I mean, I talked to Quiddy Pay, who now is with the Colts, but he was, you know, a former star player there. And he was a captain of the team that won two games during COVID. And, you know, I'd reached out to him because one of the players I talked to on Saturday had referenced him on something. And I had had a little bit of a relationship before, so we kind of reconnected. And it was interesting to hear, like, one of the things he told me was, when he watches this team, he almost gets teary-eyed because he knows how hard it was for them to, you know, from where they came from 
and the issues they had back then. And I think that, you know, all the stuff that, you know, we talked about in the season with Jim Harbaugh and, you know, even the stuff now with whether Jim Harbaugh is going to go to the NFL or, you know, all this other stuff. I just feel like that kind of has overshadowed what the players do and what the players did. And so I think it's hats off to them. I just, you know, just the, when you talk to players after a game or you talk to them, especially like, you know, Trevor Keegan's a leader of the team. He's an offensive lineman. He's kind of the quintessential Michigan, you know, offensive lineman. I, I can definitely see, you know, they have the, you know, the John Jansons and the Jumbo Elliots of, of back in the day. And he seems to fit in that mode. And, you know, they're, they're just like, it's a very candid group about what they faced. And I think that, you know, there's a good, like, I don't know, there's there's just an interesting juxtaposition of that and and that part of it coming out of, like, you know, everything's about the transfer portal now and everything's about all these other things. And it's not to say that some of those things aren't aren't positive, but I just think it, it makes it harder to develop a team, you know, that is like a three-year build because there's just all the parts are coming and going and everything else like that. And you know, maybe maybe it's I don't know. Is this going to be the first of its kind or the last of its kind? I don't know. I don't know, but it's very unique in today's sport. You're right. I mean, the core of that team has been together since at least 2020. You know, there's a couple younger guys like Will Johnson, but for the most part, um, I mean, a lot of it's amazing how many of them were freshmen in that awful uh, 2020 COVID season. One of those was Blake Corum, and you know. I tweeted about this. It just kind of, you know, I was thinking about it during the game. Uh, I mean, Michigan has had some great, great running backs in the history of its program, right? Mike Hart, Anthony Thomas, Jamie Morris, Tyrone Wheatley down the line, Chris Perry. Um, I'm, I'm cribbing a little bit here from Wikipedia. <laughs> Obviously, I remember all those guys. I mean, Blake Corum, to me, goes down as the best of all of them because he was part of this, you know, he was basically the, uh, you know, on offense, at least the face of this run. And he capped it off. He had 25 touchdowns this season, which is an insane number. And he capped it off with the game winning touchdown in overtime against Alabama and the game ceiling touchdown, we'll call it the touchdown that put them up by two scores in this one. Um, I, I don't know what the future holds for him NFL wise, but to me, like he will go down as one of the more memorable college football players in recent memory. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a terrific all around running back. There's definitely leadership, you know, parts of him that, that shine through. And, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, we obviously know he battled through injuries and everything else. And, um, you know, he is kind of the engine of this thing. Like I go back to, you know, we talked about this coming out of the Rose bowl where, you know, we, we talked about this with the Ari the other day about the stars matter part or whatever. But one thing that, you know, some of the players, I remember, I think it was Kenneth Grant had said this the other day when I talked to him after the after the Rose Bowl game was like, hey, we're a no star defense. And I don't think what I, I think there is something about that that kind of resonates about this team. It does feel a little bit like it's a no star team. And I mean that in a positive way, not a negative way, because so often a national title team has some kind as one or more like these superstar guys who's going to be a 
top 10 pick, you know, and it's just Georgia, you could say was kind of a, would, would kind of be similar in that, but they had so many guys who'd fit in that category. Now, obviously Stetson Bennett, you know, wasn't going to be the, you know, top three pick or, you know, whatever, but he, he, he excelled in the playoff. I mean, he was terrific, you know, at, at that point, but it wasn't like they really had that in terms of the offense, you know, Brock Bowers is certainly was a, you know, as a standout player, but it wasn't like they had a Joe Burrow or it wasn't like they had Devonte Smith or it wasn't like, you know, I just don't, it's, it's a little unusual. Like I said, I think the best player on their defense is the guy who looks like a grad student. You know, when you, when you see him walking around, you know, he's got his glasses on, he's kind of a slight guy, but he's just a great football player. And I think there's, there's a ton of really good players, but I just think there's that kind of, you know, it turns into a, a virtue instead of a weakness that, that the, they are that way. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's get to the elephant in the room. Um, you know, Jim Har- There's two, actually. So Jim Harbaugh, for the most part, up until tonight, has kind of avoided, um, you know, he's been kept doing the, what, what was the, the phrase he kept saying? Anytime anybody tried to ask about the off the field stuff, uh, laser focus, laser focus. Uh, tonight, uh, he was asked, first, let's just deal with the um, NFL thing. That was pretty simple. He said, you know, can I just have this night? You know, I just want to have this night and not talk about the future, which, of course, is obviously not any sort of denial that he might be trying to go to the NFL. And then the interesting one to me, obviously, somebody asked him about the off the field stuff. Uh, there's no mention of specific mention of science dealing, but I know that's what we're talking about. And he says, the off the field issues were innocent and we stood strong and tall because we knew we were innocent. And I'd like to point that out. And these guys are innocent and overcame that. It wasn't that hard because we knew we were innocent. That struck me as, woo, uh, that word innocent. Um, I'm of the opinion that it's not a tainted championship. They earned it. We talked about it last time because Connor Stallions got exposed when he did. They were able to definitively prove down the stretch that they don't they didn't need that, right, to beat some of the best teams in the country. Um, but if you're somebody who has a problem with the fact that they cheated, uh Harbaugh saying we are innocent is probably going to rub you the wrong way. 
Yeah, I'm sure. Look, I'm sure it will. I, I mean, I, you look at the end of the game, at the end of the day, they beat Alabama and then they beat Washington and they, you know, they won tonight handily. I mean, I don't know. At the end of the day, I think we're all going to remember who is the best team, period. And that's Michigan. I, the, on the, on the, on the NFL side, I, I, you know, I kind of agree. It's like, all right, now's not the time to talk about it. Now, tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, I imagine he's going to go engage this process about whether he goes, you know, to try to go to the NFL and what becomes the right situation for him, whether that's the Chargers or maybe the Raiders. Um, you know, I think that's where it's going, heading next. I mean, to me, I don't know how quickly it'll play out, but I would imagine that's where it's headed. I mean, look, you and I have talked about this a lot about, and I know I've talked about this a lot, even at Fox about, you know, my gut and from the people I talk to, I trust more on Jim Harbaugh issues than, than, than most. Um, they think he's going to end up in the NFL. And now that he led Michigan to a national title at his alma mater, you know, it's like, it's interesting. Cause I saw, uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh's wife, uh, sister, Joni, who's Tom Crean's wife. And I hadn't seen her since I did a TV piece on when Harbaugh came back to college football and interviewed her in Indiana at IU when Tom was there. And it seems like so long ago, and it actually is a long time ago, you know, and just the fact that, okay, this guy, like to, to me, you know, he, he did some amazing stuff as an NFL coach, but he, you know, he led them to a Super Bowl, but they didn't win it. Obviously, his brother John won the Super Bowl. But now he's won this national title. I mean, I'd be stunned if he doesn't if he doesn't leave at this point. It to me, it's not a question of if somebody offers him an NFL job, is he going to take it? I think he clearly wants an NFL job. And like you said, winning the national championship, you know, kind of f- uh, finishing the deal makes it that much, you know, more cleaner to do that exit. And frankly, you know, I saw quotes from Ward Manuel after the game that, you know, I think he's he's pretty realistic about the situation. The question is, which team is actually offering him the job? And, you know, we've gone through this the last couple of years. Sure thought he was going to be the Vikings coach. They went uh, they, they went a different direction. Um, you know, you know who the who teams are that have openings and who's being commonly talked about. What's what do you see as the most likely one? Uh, my hunch is it's the Chargers. I mean, they have an elite quarterback in Justin Herbert. They have a lot of, they do have a lot of good talent around. Uh, they're going into, a, you know, new facilities starting next year. Everything I've heard is his wife really likes Southern California. They'd obviously spent some time there before. Uh, that's where I, my hunch is it could end up, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a bunch of jobs that have come open now. I mean, who knows where Bill Belichick ends up? Um, I don't know. I mean, we, I would have thought Antonio Pierce was going to be the guy with the Raiders, but you know, Jim Harbaugh has connections to the Raiders too. So uh, given his track record, you know, again, for, I remember the number 44 and 19 as a head coach, they were not very good before he showed up and he wasted no time in getting them into the playoffs and make, you know, a Super Bowl contender. Him winning a national title to me only, uh, only makes his name that much more attractive. Yeah, I mean, he's done it. He 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 led Stanford to unprecedented heights at the time. 
he uh, led the 49ers to the Super Bowl, and now he's led Michigan to his first national championship in 26 years. It took maybe a little bit longer than people originally thought. And I think the craziest part of the whole story is the fact that, you know, in 2020, I don't know what the percentage was, but it was certainly not tiny of Michigan fans who were ready for them to move on. Couldn't beat Ohio State, couldn't win the Big Ten. They were really bad in 2020. And he only had one year left on his contract. It would have been, this was not a Jimbo Fisher buyout situation. It would have been so easy for them to wash their hands of it. And instead, Ward Manuel, to his credit, came up with what at the time was a very unusual solution to give him a contract extension, but cut his pay in half and have him earn it back. And that's exactly what he did. It was like, it was like the last three years were the Michigan program that we thought he might build when he first got there in 2015. He, he It took a couple starts and stops, but he eventually did it. And um, yeah, I'm operating under the assumption, frankly, that he will be in the NFL. And if that happens, you tell me, but I would think the next coach of Michigan is his offensive coordinator. I would think Sharon Moore coached his way into that job. Right. If he If they don't go in that direction and decide they want somebody with more experience as a head coach, I think do you certainly would would consider Kalen DeBoer, who you saw a lot of tonight, who's done an amazing job at Washington. He knows the Big Ten as an offensive coordinator from his time at Indiana. He's from the Midwest. I think he would, he's, you know, proven to be an elite coach. I think Lance Leipold is a guy we've talked about before, another guy with Midwest roots. He's done an amazing job. I think he would make a lot of sense. I know that there's some rumblings from people I've talked to that Brian Kelly would be very interested in that job. Honestly, I think that of those of those candidates, I think Brian Kelly would probably be on the bottom of the list of this, of that group. To be honest, Brian Kelly is out there getting every single recruit in the 2025 class to LSU right now, um, without an offensive coordinator. Yeah, um, I, I don't even think it's a question that Sherman Moore would get the job. For several reasons, one, he, like you said, he he we, he got to audition in a very you know in some very important games, and and I thought, I mean, I thought his play calling in particular in the uh, Ohio State game is is a big reason why they won the Ohio State game. Um, also, this is a kind of if it ain't broke, don't fix it case. Um, like you don't, why would you bring somebody in from the outside who has to bring in his own people and? Start the whole thing over when you're, you know, I, I, they may take a step back next season, but they're still an excellent program. And then, Bruce, I don't know if you know this, but when Mike Hart spent one game as a coach during Harbaugh's first suspension, he became the first black head coach in Michigan history. Well, which is, a you know, pretty late in the game for a program of that stature. So uh, this would be a chance to actually have a permanent black head coach who is abundantly qualified for the job so if it's anybody other than him to me would be a a real surprise um can we talk about washington for a second yeah well on that spirit on that note i would say this it definitely felt different to have these two teams and some of these other teams um not there right there was no georgia ohio state clemson alabama anywhere around it. Um, you know, I did see Greg Sankey here, the SEC commissioner, but for the most part, it was totally new blood. And you know, it was refreshing, right? 
I think in a lot of ways it was. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, you know, obviously Jim Harbaugh is a big name around college football, but I, and Michigan's obviously the bluest of blue bloods, but still there's very different teams, you know, and I'm, you know, I, I have no idea like how the rest of the country felt about that. I think people were probably very excited about seeing the style of football that Washington plays and especially with Michael Penix and, you know, Michigan to their credit, made it a not Washington kind of game, you know, but I thought I'm interested to see, you know, how Washington, you know, what the, what the, uh, Will Rogers, by the way, the, their next quarterback who played at Mississippi state and put up some big numbers when Mike Leach was there, he was there on the, you know, in uniform and at, with Washington and, and there's still plenty of talent there, but they're going to lose a lot of guys. I mean, Chris Peterson's last class. I know we talked about this in detail when he was on this podcast, you know, the 2019 class, you know, a bunch of those guys will move on. Some of them were already moved on and there's still plenty of talent, but I don't know if I feel like they're as built to, like, if you ask me, I would have a stronger feeling that Oregon would probably be a, you know, more of a national title contender based on what they have coming back than than Washington will. But again, this was an amazing year for the Huskies, amazing year for that program. And I think it was just a lot of fun to watch, to watch them this year. They won 21 straight games. You know, this is a program that was four and eight, two years ago. And, and a new head coach came in who frankly was pretty unknown um, outside of Fresno state, Sioux falls, and maybe Bloomington. Um, and he, Kalen DeBoer, led them to the brink of a national title. I think it's an absolutely remarkable story. Um, rough night in the national championship game. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, two things. First of all, Michigan winning is a big deal because, and, you know, piggybacking off our discussion with Ari earlier this week, or I guess it was last week now, you know, the notion of can you win without top five, top ten recruiting classes to me, there was a more specific subplot of that, which was, can a Big Ten team other than Ohio State win the national championship? Like, we had gotten to the point where it felt like the Big Ten had become them and everybody else, right? And you mentioned, you would mention Ohio State in the same breath as Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and nobody else. So Michigan breaking through and doing this gives hope, frankly, to some of the other programs in that part of the country or programs that that recruit at their level, but not necessarily the Georgia-Alabama level. And to your point about Washington next year, you haven't seen this yet, but it'll be up by the time people listen to this podcast, my early top 25 for next year. It was a lot harder. Well, it was unique. Usually when I do that early top 25, I just take the two teams that are in the national championship, and they either become like one, two, or you flip them. Because they're teams like Alabama that you just know are going to reload. Not the case with these two programs. Not used to them being in this situation. And because they only now are playing their last game, Michigan's got like a dozen guys who we don't know yet if they're turning pro or not. I think J.J. McCarthy will. I think Blake Corm will. Some others, not so obvious. Same with Washington. So um, I had Michigan 6th and Washington 7th. And I think... The Washington White might prove to be too optimistic, but um, 
you know, I do another one of these in the spring. We'll see who turns pro and who doesn't. And yes, I think Oregon actually, if we were doing, I'm not, we're not doing it, but if we were doing a preseason Big Ten prediction this second, I might have Oregon as my favorite. Because they've got Dylan Gabriel. Yeah. I mean, look, lots of time between now and then. Yeah. Well, in Ohio State, within minutes of Michigan winning the national championship, uh, Quinshaw Judkins, who's been a two-time thousand-yard rusher for Ole Miss, announced he's transferring to Ohio State. Uh, right after Ohio State also got Will Howard. So, like, you know, it's been a rough year in Columbus, maybe a rough three years if you want to look at it that way. But if I'm Ryan Day, I might breathe a little bit easier right now, knowing that my adversary is probably leaving for the NFL and taking a lot of fourth year, fifth year guys with him. And we've got some new blood coming to town. And also Ohio State, by the way, a lot of their top underclassmen are expect they haven't announced yet, but are expected to stay. So they may get their moment again next year. Can I ask you a question? You've been, um, you know, we've talked a lot about Jim Harbaugh over the pot over the last couple of years on this podcast. What do you think of him? I, I think that I um, dismissed him too prematurely uh, a few years ago. And I, I don't know. How do you argue that? Like we just talked about it earlier. He is now one at a very high level. Every place he's been a head coach. Um, he will be if he stayed in college football, he'd be very, very high on my list of coaches for next He'd year. Have to be top as I assume he would be. Yeah. I mean, Saban and Kirby Smart would still be ahead of him. Um, and you would have to put you now you said you would put him ahead of Dabo, though, right? Yeah. So I so I guess he would be number three, right? Yeah, that's what I would think. Hard, I mean, it's hard to argue. And the other thing is a couple of the guys that we have both had very high on that list recently. Lincoln Riley will be taking a step back. Ryan Day, Ryan Day might be taking a slight step back. James Franklin. Uh, James Franklin will be taking a step back. So, I mean, I think probably it was only a couple years ago we would have had Jimbo Fisher very high. So it's a very what what have you done for me lately kind of sport. And what Harbaugh has done lately is uh, lose one Big Ten game in three years and win a national championship. Hard to argue with that. All right. Well, we just want to thank everybody who's been listening all season. And you know, we don't take for granted. Um, having the audience that we do and loyal listeners like you guys. And, you know, you put up with all our Dion talk in the first month of September and made it all the way to here. We had some sign stealing along the way. We had, we had some fun this season. Um, podcast isn't going away. It just won't be twice a week now. So we'll give you a once a week fix of the audible as we go into the off season, which as we know, Bruce, there really is no off season. We've got the portal. We've got coaching carousel. Some school will leave their conference soon. Florida State will sue the counters. I don't know. There's always something going on in the offseason. But uh, we'll be back next week to start the offseason discussion. We'll see you next time. How did we get away with the things we used to do?